Well, if you guys have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up to Jeremiah chapter 35. Last week when we were together, we talked about Jeremiah chapter 34. And Jeremiah chapter 34 was a chapter about promise breakers. Remember, there was a deal. They thought that they could appease God by letting all the slaves go. And then as soon as Nebuchadnezzar left, they went back, gathered all the slaves again, brought them back, and God uh, held them accountable, told them that Babylon was coming back. There was not going to be uh, an end to the seeds, and they were still going into exile. Now, when we look at 34 and 35, 34 and 35 are placed together uh, in comparison and contrast with one another. One chapter gives you uh, promise breakers, and the other one gives you promise keepers. Uh, those who will keep their covenant uh, um, compared and contrasted with those who won't. And a call from the Lord to those who won't to repent, right? Change. And it's interesting because as we look at this section of scripture, I know, I, at least for me, there's a challenge in this, uh, in this section of scripture to deal with the concept of heritage of holiness, what is a heritage of holiness? And we look at our world today, and there are, there are guys who are, are producing best-selling books trying to answer the question of why people are leaving the church, why, why young people are bailing, why they cut and run, why they don't want to have anything to do with it. And when we look at Scripture, um, this Scripture in particular, there's something to be said about this idea of having a heritage of holiness. And, and hopefully, you know, I'll just pray that the Spirit would speak to you. I don't, I'm not suggesting what that's supposed to look like, but you'll see it as we look at Jeremiah chapter 35. So it begins, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the, in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So this is looking back. So before the promise breakers, we're talking about the siege is going on, all that's happening. Now we back up, um, probably around 11 years. So we've backed up 11 years back. It's not quite so bad. They're still talking about the days when the Babylon's, Babylon's already conquered them twice, but the days when, when uh, Babylon will come to, to destroy them because of their continued rebellion. And so we're in those days, Jeremiah is receiving a word from the Lord. And it's interesting because uh, it's, there's a particular call that he's going to be, uh, that he's going to be given. He says in verse 2, go to the house of the Rechabites and speak with them and bring them to the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and offer them wine to drink. Now, that seems odd, No. I mean, not necessarily odd to offer them wine, not necessarily odd to gather them, but it just seems gather the Rechabites into the temple of the Lord and offer them wine. What, there seems like there's something happening there, right? If we don't delve into that a little deeper, we're not going to understand what's going on at all. So as we look at the Rechabites, they're first mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 10, uh, verse 15 through 17. They are a family or a clan of uh, uh, what we'll call the Kenites. Uh, actually, you can go back, you can trace their lineage uh, all the way back to Jethro. Remember Jethro, Moses' father-in-law? 
You can trace back all the way to Jethro. So they, they, they come through this line, or particular line, and they were a family who had made some choices. Their, their uh, father, I guess, their, their version of Abraham, uh, right? They're the guy who's the, the patriarch of the Rechabite family. Uh, his name uh, is Jonadab. And Jonadab was a guy who served the Lord during the time of Jehu. Now, Jehu's not particularly famous for being a very godly man, but Jehu was a choice of God to judge Ahab, the family of Omri, the, the, the wicked king of Israel God was going to judge. He judges them through the sword of Jehu. And Jonadab is a part of that. He helps Jehu in the judgment of the wicked family. Ahab, Queen Jezebel, right? The, all the horrific sacrifices and people that they slaughtered as a part of their kingdom. Uh, he's a part of that. And as a result of his experience with Ahab and the world and... Uh, Technology, Jonadab makes some choices for his family. So he, he makes a proclamation to his family and he says, I don't want you to live in walled cities anymore. Get out of this big city. Be nomads. I don't want you to have roots sunk so deep into the world that the world gets its roots into you, right? Hold on to all this lightly. And the second thing he told his clan was don't ever drink wine. Never let it touch your lips. In 2 Kings 10, 15, it says, Now when he had departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, uh, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and he said to him, Is your heart true to my, uh, to my heart as mine is to yours? And Jehonadab answered, it is. And Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave his hand, and Jehu took him up with him into the chariot. And he said, come with me. See the zeal for the Lord. And so he had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had wiped them out according to the word of the Lord that he had spoke to Elijah. So he was part of a purge of wickedness in the northern kingdom. But as a result of his experiences, he made this, this uh, heritage with his family. Here's what we're going to be about. And he raised up his family that way, and he taught his family that. And I just want you to think how that would work out today. I mean, I, I, I was a father. I had children. I understand the, the um, perils of trying to train up a child in the way that he should go, right? To give them a godly heritage, a desire to walk in holiness. I understand the struggles and the pull of the world. And so here, Jonadab, he made this deal. He said, look, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be who we are. We're going to live in tents. And we aren't going to drink wine. So in verse 2, it says, go to the house of the Rechabites, speak with them, and bring them to the house of the Lord into one of the chambers, and offer them wine to drink. Now, God is showing through a, 
a faith act with Jeremiah, he's providing a contrast to the rebellion of Judah, the southern kingdom, by looking at the family of the Rechabites. And so he's going to test them. All right. I want you to understand that, that uh, Jonadab made this heritage with his family 200 years before this happens. Boss, a long time, no? Surely in 200 years, the, the, they've, they've cast off all of that, right? They've thrown off the, the, the heritage of their family. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with drinking wine. There's, there's nothing wrong with living in houses, right? There's, there's nothing in the scripture here of what we're going to look at today that is going to say, well, this is the thing you need to do. You need to not live in a house. You got to live in a tent or you need to never touch wine. But, but what it's going to illustrate for us is that they made some decisions as a family about how they were going to walk with the Lord and that held not one generation, not two generations, not three generations, not four generations, five generations deep, and then the Lord tests them. And Jeremiah goes and finds them. And they've made a compromise already because they're living in Jerusalem. That's a walled city, right? They're gathering there in Jerusalem. So let's read a little bit about it and see what it's all about. And so I took Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habazinii, and his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them to the house of the Lord into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the sons of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials above the chamber of Maaseiah, the son of Shalom, keeper of the threshold. Now what does all this mean? All this means he brought him into a chamber in the temple of God that was very public. He didn't take him some private place. He took him into a chamber that, was, that had people. There was a lot of people milling about doing what they normally do, right? And Jeremiah invites the family of the Rechabites and he, he's going to set before them wine. He's going to set before them jugs uh, of wine. Look at verse 5. Then I said before the Rechabites, pitchers full of wine and cups. And I said to them, drink. And as we look at this, we see the Lord tests his people as to their loyalty. Listen about the vows they've made to him. You ever made a vow to God? Like, Lord, I'm gonna, or I'll never do this, or I'll never do that. And you know that the scripture tells us that we're to keep our vows. It also tells us not to make foolish vows. It also doesn't say anywhere in the scripture that thou shalt make vows, right? But here you have 200 years of history have gone, water under the bridge, the people are wicked, the northern kingdom's absolutely gone, the nomad family of the Rechabites have moved, in, moved into Jerusalem, so God says to Jeremiah, bring him into the temple, serve him wine. I want to see what happens. I want to know something about their heart. So it says in verse 6, but they answered, we will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, 
our father commanded us. You shall not drink wine, neither you nor your sons, forever. Can you imagine a family heritage that lasted like that? For sure, we see some, right? Some of those things. Now, here's the danger. We're walking a fine line because the danger is that the vow that they made did not make them holy. It made them stand out. It made them different. Their holiness comes from the Lord, right? We do not create holiness by our actions. Isaiah said that your righteous deeds are as filthy rags, right? The best we can do is we, our, our motivations are screwed up, all these things, but there was a faithfulness and obedience to their fathers, to those who had gone before them. And there is something valid and valuable about a heritage where the family is beholding to, holding fast to those ideals. When every time we, we talk about things like this, uh, uh, several things come up. Let, let, let's let him speak and um, and I'll jump off the bridge. So you shall not, he said, you shall not drink wine, neither you nor your sons forever. You shall not build the house. You shall not sow seed. You shall not plant or have a vineyard, but you shall live in tents all your days that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. The point of being a sojourner, even for Abraham, is recognizing that this is not my home. Success uh, biblical success is never attributed based on wealth, ever. The Bible will talk about wealth. These people had a lot. The Bible will talk about people not having anything. But none of those things um, meant that God loved you more or less. They're just things. And so here he's saying this, the point of the sojourner was to recognize this is not my home. This is not supposed to be the focus of my life. That the growing of stuff. I got stuff. I got three garages full of stuff. I remember when I didn't have a garage. Now I got three garages of stuff. I threaten every once in a while to tell Kathy... When she goes to the the women's retreat, she may come back and there'll be empty garages. We'll see. But the best time to clean the garage is when mama's gone. At least the best time to clean it of her stuff. <laughs> you know, they they were living their lives for the heritage that John and Dab laid out for them. That it's not this stuff. And that was something that they taught to their children and they taught to their children and they taught to their children and they held fast to that heritage. And when I look at this, I'm, I think, you know, is there, what is it, Lord, that you have for us that we can, can recognize how to be in the world and not of it? To realize that stuff is inanimate. It's not 
evil nor good. But your love of it may be. So Jonadab had laid out these, these plans for his family, how they, would, how they would conduct themselves. It says in verse 8, We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rahab, our father, in all that he commanded us, to drink no wine all our days, ourselves, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, and not to build houses to dwell in. We have no vineyard or field or seed, but we have lived in tents and have obeyed and done all that Jonadab, our father, has commanded us. But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against the land, we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans. So now you know why they're in Jerusalem. It's not so easy to live in tents when an invading army is coming against the land, right? So they moved into the wall cities. Now every time we talk about this, um, oftentimes the focus is going to be on the things that they were cutting out, right? They're, they're cutting out uh, uh, not having anything, any homes that are built. They're living in tents. So, so we want to follow a formula. We want to say, okay, well, we shouldn't live in homes. And then the other thing that they cut out was no drinking wine. And so we want to do the same thing. We want to say, okay, we're never going to drink wine. We'll never live in permanent houses. And then we'll have a heritage like this. But it's really has very little to do with the stuff they cut out. It has everything to do with their faithfulness to do what they vowed. Has everything to do with their faithfulness. Now look, I understand when we talk about wine, let me get all this out of the way. Uh, alcoholic beverages are dangerous, but they are inanimate. There's not an evil spirit in spirits. You may act like an evil spirit after you drink it, which may be why you shouldn't drink it. They are dangerous. But listen, please listen. Please understand this. My, my heart is not to tell you go drink wine and, and be free. My heart is to tell you Jesus was... was uh, I don't want to say it, assaulted, but he had a discussion with the Pharisees over his disciples not washing their hands properly because the Pharisees believed that if they didn't wash their hands properly, evil was going to get in, side, and that was going to mess them up. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, evil doesn't come into you from outside. Evil comes from your heart out of you. The condition of man is as a fallen, wicked, broken being that needs to be uh, cleansed, that needs to be saved, that needs to be redeemed. But man spends his time thinking, well, if I put this in me, that makes me wicked. If I eat too much, all that excess of food that that has made me wicked i become wicked because i eat too much or i've become wicked because i drink too much or i become wicked because i ate without washing my hands or i become wicked because i wear a mask or i become wicked because i don't wear a mask or i become wicked from something outside 
my lovely, beautiful children did not learn to sin from outside. My beautiful firstborn son, when he was hungry or wet or tired and cranky, would have murdered you if he was bigger. When he laid there and cried, do you not see the wrath in a baby? Yes, I, they're cute, and I love them, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about them, but they're wicked little sinner babies. <laughs> and, and it, which is okay. We all start that way, right? What's the role of the parent? The role of the parent is to, to train them up, to curb that wickedness. What, what are we watching in our world today? <laughs> I might get in trouble for saying this, but we are watching the effects of time out. The Bible told us that a father who loves his children disciplines them promptly because they must be trained that screaming when you want something to eat is not okay, right? When someone has something you want, punching them and taking it away from them is not okay, right? We, we teach that to two-year-olds, three-year-olds. Somebody needs to teach it to 24-year-olds that are running around in the streets right now, right? Because they, and older, unfortunately. <laughs> but we, we, when we see all that, we recognize that there is, there is inherent wickedness birthed in man. Now, that doesn't mean you can um, not use good things that God has provided un, in unwise manners that create trouble for you, right? Food is good. Can you live without food? Nope. Can you eat too much food? Yep. Can you eat yourself to death? Sure. I am trying. <laughs> Every once in a while, somebody tells me we have a group for that that meets on Saturday nights. I'm, I might have to go. But the food's not the wicked. Where's the wicked? It's in my heart. It's wanting satisfaction from something that's not going to satisfy, right? And it's the, same, it's the same way with alcohol. Now, here's one of the interesting things when we talk about alcohol. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about it. Proverbs 21 says it winds a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And what that's talking about is now you're not led astray because you, you tasted it. You're led astray because you're ruled by it. Or you're ruled by food, right? Or you're ruled by drugs or you're ruled by, it doesn't matter whatever thing you put in there. You're ruled by entertainment. You're ruled by, by binge watching on Netflix all day long, every day. You're ruled by whatever things you're ruled by. And whatever you're ruled by, you're not wise. Proverbs 23 talks about a man who's an alcoholic, right? It says, who has woe or sorrow or strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without a cause or redness of eyes, those who tarry long over the wine, 
who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and it goes down smooth. In the end, it bites like a serpent, stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Because as soon as you drink too much, what do you do? Man, when, when I was a young man in the Marine Corps abusing alcohol at every possible moment, I remember the intense regret over whatever I did or said the night before. And the, the tricky thing about drink is I can forget it if I'll just go have a few more. But then I make new regrets. You know, I've never regretted something I didn't do. I got lots of regrets over things I did do. But especially of doubtful things, things I'm wondering, I wonder if I should do this. Uh, I've never regretted not doing it. I got lots of regrets over. <laughs> I did it. Hosea 4.9 says, It shall be like people like priests. I will punish them for their ways, repay them for their deeds. They will eat and not be satisfied. So they're not, they're, they're not finding the fulfillment in food. You, are you tracking with me? Uh, they will eat and not be satisfied. They will play the whore, but not multiply. So they're going to they're gonna pursue food, but that's not going to satisfy. They're going to pursue sex, but that's not going to satisfy them. <clears throat> because they have forsaken the Lord. They have left the desire to cherish God. The only all-satisfying being in the universe. And when we, sat, when we look to something else to satisfy, this, this is the, the emptiness that we're going to chase. Uh, because they have forsaken the Lord and chose to cherish whoredom, wine, new wine, all which take away understanding. Now when the Bible talks about it, it's always talking about it in the sense of abusing And so we, we, ha we have to acknowledge that. You can't come to the Bible. The, the church has made mistakes in the past by saying, you know what, if we just tell people, just don't do it, it's a sin, don't touch it, then they'll be better for it. But now we've, we've told them a lie to try to control them. We have good intentions, right? We want to control them. We want them to do well. This would be good. Just, just absolutely abstain. If you touch wine, it's a sin. But that didn't take the wickedness out of the heart of man, did it? The scriptures tell us that the priest, the prophet, kings, and princes, Nazarites, elders, deacons, ought to stay away from wine. Proverbs 31.4 Solomon's mother speaking to him says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. Because of the chance of abuse, he says, kings ought not to drink. 
They should stay away from it. Princes ought not to drink. They should stay away from it. Leviticus 10. The Lord spoke to Aaron and said, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. You remember Nadab and Abihu? Remember they brought strange fire to the Lord? Fire came out of the altar and consumed them. Do you remember why they brought strange fire? They were drinking. The drink wasn't the strange fire. They literally brought fire to the altar they weren't supposed to bring. But they did it because they spent a little too much time at the wine. And they made a bad call. And they died for that. We probably all know stories like that, right? People who made a bad call. And the Bible tells us, right, we don't want to cause someone to stumble. So we see the Rechabites and we see this interesting thing that they did. But, I, but again, I, I, I want you to understand. Yeah, I get that. That we have to be careful in regards to wine and alcohol. And we, we, the Bible says it is never okay not to be sober-minded. It is never okay not to be sober-minded. So that's why it's not okay to smoke dope. That's why it's not okay to be drunk. Because God says you need to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. Our, our minds have to be focused, not, not um, dampened by whatever. So the Lord says, look, I want that to be focused. But those things were not what put evil into the Rechabites or evil into the heart of Judah. When God condemns Judah here in just a moment, he's not going to say, and you drank wine, so that's it for you. That's not what he's going to say. He's not going to say, you lived in houses, so that's it for you. That's not what he's going to say. The point that God is pointing to in this story, the illustration, is their faithfulness. Do you want faithfulness in a spouse? If you're not married, do you want your future wife to be faithful to you? It's not a trick question. Most of us would say yes. Ladies, do you want your husband to be faithful to you? Of course, that's what we want. That is something ingrained within us, this desire for faithfulness that I think points to the, the attribute or character of God, right? So because God is faithful, we, we, we uh, attribute value to faithfulness. Beauty. You know, there's just a lot of things that, that, that we intangible ideas that I think are part of, of what it is to be created in the image of God. These are ways in which we reflect the character of God. And so we value faithfulness, so does God. It says in verse 12, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction and listen to my words, declares the Lord. So here's God saying, what, why am I telling you this story? The command that Jonadab, the son of Rahab, gave to his sons to drink no wine has been kept. And they drink none to this day. For they have obeyed their father's command. Here's the rub. God says, I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened. I have spoken to you 
persistently. I want you to hear Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. It's going to refer back to, to something that Jeremiah told the people early on in his beginning of his ministry. Just listen to the heart cry of God calling to his people. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. So here's what God's saying to the people. Man, consider the examples of those who have gone before you. Consider the things that they teach through their lives. Consider the ancient ways, the walking the path of following God and serving God. Consider those things and walk in that way. Listen to what he says. And find rest for your soul. But they said, no, we will not walk in it. Then the Lord said, I have set watchmen over you, saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. Remember the watchmen? was a, a call of warning. It's a call of warning. Every time God calls his people to repent, turn around, get out of the oven, you know, whatever things that he's doing that the Lord's laying out for him. As he's laying these things out, he's saying, pay attention to the trumpet. Pay attention to the trumpet. But the people said, no. We will not listen to the trumpet. So when the Lord says, the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have kept the command that their father gave them, but you have not obeyed me. You have not listened to me. He says in verse 15, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to serve them, and you will dwell in the land that I gave you and your fathers. The Lord says, look, I'm just, I'm trying to call you back. Out of error. Are there any parents who have ever tried to call their children back out of error? then you know exactly how the Lord feels. Sometimes for us, you, most of the time when I look at my kids, most of the time I'm trying to spare them from a road I walk down. The difference is God knows where that road leads, and so he's doing the same thing. He didn't walk down that road. He's saying that road leads to destruction. That road leads to pain. That road leads to hurt. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I used to tell the kids, you know, they'd always ask me, kids are the same everywhere. They'd ask me, oh, man, is it okay if I go to parties and I don't want to really be cut off from my friends? And, <clears throat> and, I, and I would say, well, <clears throat> I know it seems like it's fun. But there are hurtful things down that road. And in my 10 years of being a youth pastor, twice I got called from the hospital to go sit with a girl who had been raped at a party. It seemed like it was going to be so much fun. 
And I'm not in any way blaming her. I am saying there are places you can be which are wise places to go. And there are places to go that are not. Where there is danger of bad things happening. Be no different than today if I, if I was sharing this. You said, you know, I just really feel like God is calling me to go out to Portland and preach on a street corner. Awesome. If God's calling you to go to Portland and preach on a street corner, by, by all means, go. Yeah? But if, my, if some little teenager come up to me and says, I think I'm going to go to Portland and it looks like fun. Yeah, I know. Bad idea. Don't go there. You might be able to go and nothing happen. Or you might be the next 17-year-old kid we're watching on the news. Or, or the next guy who was wearing the wrong baseball hat. Well, once upon a time, you used to get shot for wearing the wrong colors in L.A. Don't wear blue in the wrong neighborhood. Don't wear red in the wrong neighborhood. Interesting how now you get shot for that only it's political. Are you wearing red or are you wearing blue? Same colors. The heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. There are wise places to be and unwise places to be. But, and God recognizes where those places are, and he calls his people when they're making foolish choices, right, to go down this road. He's saying, turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around. You know, you may have, there, there's probably a thousand different opinions about Mr. Rittenhouse, 17-year-old kid who shot those guys. All I wish is somebody on the day that he was going down there would have told him, that's nah, not go. I don't care if it's justified or it's not justified. Two dudes are facing eternity right now over stupid riots in the street. That's a hard thing to live with. No? You don't think so? Find somebody who served in the military who killed someone. Then you tell me. But the Lord is calling his people, right? Return, turn around, turn around. But they're saying, no, we don't want to walk in the ancient ways. We don't, don't want to walk in the heritage of the word of God. We don't want to walk in those. We want to listen to the trumpet. We don't want to hear your warnings, God. We don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to. And it led the children of Israel to a place of judgment. I sent persistently to you, but you would not turn. You did not incline your ear nor listen to me. But the sons of Rahab, they were faithful to what their father said 200 years ago. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster I have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them and they have not listened. I have called them and they have not answered. 
people, especially people who don't understand the Bible, don't think biblically about what the Bible says, when they read the Old Testament, they, they, they see all this stuff where, where God is casting judgment and hurt and pain on the people, um, and, and people struggle with that. And I want you to think about that differently, okay? Think about it like this. Here the Lord has, has laid out the, the, the kingdom of Israel, and, and God has granted the kingdom of Israel uh, the ability to be a perpetual kingdom and a light to the Gentiles and all these things. All they have to do is just walk this road. Now he said, now if you go off the road, all these other places, all these other things are going to happen. Before the children of Israel ever crossed the Jordan into the promised land, God already said what would happen if they took all those other roads. He told them, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. When the Lord says, I'm sending, what he's saying is, look, I told you this was what is on this road. You took this road. This is where it goes. You can't get out on a highway heading towards Twin Falls and complain that you went to Filer. Oh, I'm going through Filer. Who was in control? You picked the road. No. I don't get to complain about the destination. When God says, I'm bringing... You went there. That's what was there. It was there already. You didn't have to go there. You didn't have to take that journey. You didn't have to go to that party. You didn't have to get drunk. You didn't have to decide to drive. Nobody else controlled your actions. You did. And when you find yourself at a place of judgment, understand what you have run into is gravity. The law of God is like gravity. Nobody goes to the prime bridge, jumps off, and complains at Newton. Oh, Newton, you made me fall. No. It's a law of gravity, right? You're going to fall. Are you ever not going to fall? Well, only if you've got a jetpack or something on. But otherwise, right, or a parachute, you might fall slower. But you're going to fall. If I rebel against the law of God, I will land in judgment. Judgment is where the fruitfulness of all the seeds I've planted bring their harvest. Judgment is where we are right now. If you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. That's what we're reaping. That's what is going on. It's not the same thing as God hurling a lightning bolt from heaven to zap you but it is me choosing disobedience and finding myself in the place where judgment lands. Doesn't make any sense to me to shake my fist at God when I find myself in those places. The nation of Judah is under God's judgment. The nation of the United States is under God's judgment. 
To be honest, I really don't have any doubts about that at all. The question is, how deep, how long, how far before men will repent and turn? We have sown and we are reaping. And if we don't change the way we sow, there's more to reap. He goes on and says, but to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, and kept all of his precepts and done all that he has commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. Listen, I want you to understand what he's saying. He's saying, because you were faithful to the heritage that was laid out before you, the family of the Rechabites will always have someone standing before me. They will always have someone to carry the word to the family, always have someone who, who has their face turned toward the Lord. There's value in that heritage. And the question that kept coming up in my mind as I looked at this chapter was, do we have that? Do we have a heritage like that? If your children are 30-something, I don't know, they're not 50 yet. There's still time. If your children are five, you still have opportunity right now. But please know this. Evil is not something outside that they're going to put in. Evil is something that's in that we need to teach them to restrain. To trust in God's provision. To lean in him. And are there things within our heritage that will make us more wise? To choose not to be places or not to do things or to do things in a certain way? Sure. Those are things we ought to think about. The heritage will pass on to our grandkids or our great-grandkids. It would be really incredible, right, to see a heritage of faithfulness like the Rechabites that just kept the heritage going because they valued it. I think we struggle with that today because there are so many voices. We, we want to have microwave children but the reality is sometimes you just got to take your time and cook them well. You can't just warm them up for 30 seconds or a minute. If your time with your kids is whatever it is, X, three hours a day, four hours a day, and they're at school, six hours, and they're doing sports for another two or three hours, how many voices is that? Now, I'm not saying all those voices are evil. But if you want your voice to stand out, 
It's got to be there, right? It's got to be there in order for them to hear it. Let's go before the Lord. Why don't you stand with me? Father God, we just lift up this time to you and we pray. Lord, I, I just have questions. God, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like I have all the answers. I just know that uh, I want to be a man that passes on a heritage of just being faithful. Faithfully being obedient to the calling. So incredible to think of the man told his kids 200 years earlier. Here's how we should live. And 200 years later, they're still doing it. Very cool. Pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to how it is that we might be able to train up our families, our family names, our clans, that there'd be a heritage of faithfulness among believers. That we would take the opportunities. The days are not lost. Even if we are in judgment, even as judgment may fall around us, the days are not lost. We just need to hold fast to the biblical precepts. To walk like God is calling us to walk. To walk in love and grace to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. He has told you, O man, what does the Lord require. So, Lord, I just pray that you uh, open our eyes to the ways that we might be able to be like the Rechabites and that you, Lord, would uh, just lead our nation to a place of repentance, of uh, surrender. I pray for... A revival. I pray for your spirit to move through your church. And I pray for all these young people running in the streets who, who are hopeless and angry and frustrated. And they're not my enemy. The Bible says, I do not wrestle with flesh and blood. But there is a principality and a power. Spirits of the darkness of this age that just want to see life end. God, I just pray that we have the answer. I pray, Lord, that as we see the fields ripe for harvest, you said pray, Lord of the harvest, send workers to the field. So we pray you would reap harvest, bring revival, cause repentance, and be glorified as our nation lifts her eyes to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.